An incursion by fisheries officers onto the Listigouche Reserve sparks memories of the Salmon Wars of 40 years ago. I'm Glenn Wheeler, and this is Mi'kmaq Matters, a podcast about Mi'kmaq people, politics, land, and water. Thank you for supporting Mi'kmaq Matters through Patreon or email funds transfer. These are strange and difficult times. I hope you and those dear to you are well and stay well. Well, I'll leave. A couple of weeks ago, two DFO officers, apparently checking on salmon fishing, showed up at the checkpoint set up at Listigouche to protect the community from COVID. It was surprising to see the DFO officers because Listigouche manages the salmon fishery itself and its rangers make sure everyone, native and non-native, follow the rules. On this episode, we'll be talking about Listigouche and its control over the salmon fishery and the lessons for the rights negotiations regarding Mi'kmaq people happening today. Listigouche is located on land that straddles what are now known as Quebec and New Brunswick. In 1981, Quebec Provincial Police made two raids on Listigouche to try and stop Mi'kmaq people from catching salmon. The invasion became an international incident as indigenous people from across the continent came to Listigouche in a show of support. In the years following the raids, the Mi'kmaq of Listigouche won back control over their salmon. Our guest this week is Gary Metallic Sr., who is a member of Listigouche Band Council and also part of the traditional leadership, District Chief of the Gaspegawagi Overseers Tribal Council. The traditional leadership and Listigouche Chief and Council were involved in the development of the Listigouche Salmon Management Plan. That's unusual, as we know from current fisheries negotiations in Nova Scotia, It's usually Indian Act chiefs who dominate these processes, and the rest of us aren't let into what's happening until the deal is done. I spoke to Gary Talek Sr. about the Listigouche negotiations, COVID fears, and about cooking salmon. Let me start by asking you um, how people are doing in Listigouche right now uh, during uh, COVID. Have you had any cases in the community? Well, right now, as of today, uh, we didn't have any cases, but something came up in the, on the New Brunswick side, Camelton, New Brunswick, the past few days, where a doctor, allegedly a doctor, had went to Quebec somewhere, came back to New Brunswick, in Camelton, that's where he's practicing, and didn't uh, quarantine. So now everything's up in the air. We don't know. And there were a hundred and some people that uh, I guess he had uh, treated while mm. he was working. The last two weeks so it's a scary time uh, you know we, we knew before that there were no cases but I, I think there may have been some people here that have saw and seen this doctor so uh, you know our, our uh, I don't know if you know or not we have checkpoints here where the, yes. the reserve uh, is blocked uh, for uh, entry only the residents can uh, can come in and it's it's stricter now because of what happened the last few days Yes, and uh, and people. Um, I was reading uh, online that people, uh, were, even before this, were reluctant to go into Camelton and have, have been um, 
they've been uh, fishing salmon just uh, for yeah. food because yeah. uh, rather than going to the supermarket. So I yeah. suppose um, in Listigouche, is that uh, unusual? Do people usually catch salmon uh, this time of the year? Or maybe more people are catching salmon than usual because of the COVID situation. Uh, yeah, well, more people are now, but usually, you know, uh, the last decades, uh, our, our, many of our fishermen will start fishing uh, mid uh, mid May or end of May. Mm-hmm. Yeah, but not everybody does. But now, because of this COVID uh, and then uh, no access to uh, fish or whatever or even meat, uh, you know, we started earlier. Um, the fishing season started uh, a week earlier than uh, than usual, and like you said, uh, you know, uh, the other thing is because of what happened, especially in the recent uh, days, uh, our people I think are afraid to go to Campton now, mm-hmm. more so than ever. Well, the salmon will be healthier probably than most uh, things they would find in the supermarket at Campton. <laughs> uh, yeah, especially uh, farm farm salmon. Yeah. Yes. Oof. Uh, and um, so, and how uh, many people will be, uh, you know, uh, they'll they'll want uh, salmon after they hear us talking about it. But uh, in Listigouche, uh, do people have their f- favorite way of cooking uh, salmon? Uh, how do you how do you do it well, up in Listigouche? Well, you know, the elders they used to like uh, to boil it, you know, like uh, salmon soup, and uh, we we fry it with uh, flour, you know, you you coat it with flour on both sides and add mm-hmm. spices to it and barbecue it, and that's basically what uh, you know how how we cook it. Great. Yeah. Now uh, we also uh, read online that. Um, a DFO came to uh, to Listigouche recently, and we were surprised uh, by that because, of course, you you, you have managed yeah. uh, salmon for uh, for decades now. So, yeah. what can you tell us about that visit by DFO? Uh, why what uh, why they came, and have they have they been back since that visit? Well, it, it may have been because uh, some of the, as I mentioned, uh, our fishermen start early in the season, right, and. Uh, even if they do, it's not, it doesn't mean that they were breaking the law. We have the Aboriginal right to fish, uh, but they have these agreements that they've been signing. Uh, the Bank Council and the, the Natural Resources Department have been signing with DFO, uh, where they provide funding for uh, enforcement and uh, harvesting. Uh, so they may have signed something. So usually uh, the last one was about a three-year uh, agreement and. Uh, I haven't really seen anything to that effect, believe it or not, even though I'm a council member. Maybe DFO took it upon itself that they had the authority to, to come here and do whatever they want. But mm. that's not the case because, you know, they were uh, one of our people manning the uh, uh, checkpoints and went over there and told them, hey, uh, you know, you're not supposed to be here for two reasons. First of all, you know, we're, we're, we're in isolation. Our reservation's in isolation. You know, outside the... Uh, Non-resident people are allowed. Second, uh, you being a DFO agent doesn't give you the uh, authority to come here. We have our own uh, uh, salmon management, uh, you know, plans and rules and regulations in effect, and our own uh, uh, what we call ranger conservation uh, service uh, agents. Mm. So and you and you fought very hard for that. People, some people will remember the uh, the 1981 events. Um, there's a very good movie. Uh, yeah. About 1981, uh, yeah. called uh, "Incident at uh, Restigouche yeah. by Alanis Obamaswan. Yes, and, exactly. Uh, 
and it is uh it's there's a, a, a an amazing moment in there where she interviews the uh the the fisheries minister from the uh PQ government of René Lévesque, Lucien Lassard, and she tells him, "You people want to assert your sovereignty, but you don't understand indigenous sovereignty." And it was a, exactly. a gripping a gripping moment in that uh, movie. Yes. It's, uh, it's an amazing moment. When you came to Restigouche, I was outraged by what you said to the band council. It was dreadful. The chief said, you French Canadians are asking for sovereignty here in Quebec. You are saying, it's your country and you want to be independent in your country. We're surprised that you don't understand us Indian people and our sovereignty on our land. And you answered, you cannot ask for sovereignty because to have sovereignty, one must have one's own culture, language and land. Est-ce que, à l'intérieur, actuellement, selon, on va reconnaître, par exemple, le gouvernement du Québec? The government of Quebec will recognize a collectivity at Moraya, which is entirely sovereign. How far does that sovereignty go? It's a question of definition. Does it go as far as, for example, control of the whole resource? Certain native chiefs are creating illusions for the native people. The Gaspé Peninsula, New Brunswick, Nova Scotia, etc. It belongs to us. Do you mean to tell me at this point, Montreal too belongs to you? Of course, all Canada belongs to us. Are you saying that you're going to exclude us? Did we tell you to get the hell out of here? We never said that. We always shared. You took, took, took. Instead of being proud of us, you talk of your history, your Quebec. The history of Quebec does not begin with the French Canadians. Well, I, I was, I was part of the. Uh, well, I was one of the fishermen that got arrested that time, uh, 1981. Hmm. No, we got hauled off to uh, uh, the county jail in New Carlisle. Uh, we were there was about four or five of us for the first uh, casualties. But uh, yeah, no, we we never forgot what. Uh, not just EFO, but DNR and uh, the Quebec uh, game wardens did back then, you know, when they invaded our territory. Hmm. Now, that was uh, part of the reason, well, not part, but the major reason why we uh, decided to take our uh, take over uh, the management and uh, conservation, you know, of our salmon fishery within, within the estuary. And uh, we did that with, with the help of uh, those constitutional lawyers uh, in Montreal. Uh, and they guided us in how to do it, and that's where the traditional uh, government uh, governance came in. Because, as, as the legal opinion states, if uh, they challenge the bad council's authority, well, you know, I think they could easily argue with that. Uh, you know, the bad council is an extension of the uh, federal government, and uh, they only have jurisdiction within the confines of the Indian Act uh, uh, reserve system, mm-hmm. whereas. Our traditional uh, district governance, its roots go back right to the uh, time of our ancestors and then and, 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 and from the uh, creator. And that's how the uh, salmon law was uh, structured, you know, there were asses. Well, let, uh, let's it, talk about how that salmon law came to be, because it's, uh, it's a bit different from other uh, management agreements uh, that uh, uh, Mi'kmaq communities have signed. So we yeah. had that incident in 1981, and uh, I'm yeah. sure that whenever... That's still in the minds of many people in Listigouche, probably. So when DFO oh, right. when DFO comes, it sort of brings back these uh, yes. a traumatic oh, yes. a traumatic yes. incident. Yes, it does. Because uh, yeah, well, we, we had the incident uh, eighty one, but uh, prior to eighty one and after eighty one, uh, you know, 
the Quebec and uh, DFO, DNR, you know, used to charge our people for uh, salmon fishing. And then the, the rules and regulations that were set out by them really uh, violated and intruded in how we were to conduct our, uh, you know, creator uh, treaty rights. Uh, they used to move boundaries wherever they, they pleased. The boundary would be uh, maybe a mile, uh, you know, in the middle of the river, but they'd change their mind and then they'd bring it close to uh, as far as maybe a thousand feet from shore. Mm-hmm. And we always questioned that and said, you can't be doing that. The boundary market that was established during the time when the provinces were created, what, what the hell are you doing? But again, you know, when when they have their badges and their guns, the might of their guns, what what the hell do you do? Yes. You know, uh, they have the power. They have the means to do whatever they want to do. They seize boats, nets, and salmon, whatever the fishermen. Then they were dragged into the courts, the Brunswick and, and on the Quebec side. And this went on till 1992. When when we came in, I ran in the system too, in the elected system. But we had uh, the majority of people were were of our our frame of mind that sovereignty uh, you know has to be asserted. Mi'kmaq sovereignty has to be asserted. So that's how the two, the band system and the, our tribal system work together. Uh, Gary, um, uh, you're also district chief of the Gaspawaji Overseers Tribal Council. Yes. So tell our listeners uh, what is that uh, tribal council? Our seventh district uh, tribal council, the Overseers Tribal Council, uh, was revived back in uh, 1990. And the reason for it was because of the uh, uh, I guess the intrusions that we were uh, we were having by Canada and uh, the provincial governments into you know uh, how we how we uh, we were we were uh, asserting our rights within our uh, territories. So anyway, we revived the system and it was done in such a way that it reflected what we had here in the uh, 1600s in regards to a district chief and uh, and sub chiefs. That's what the system was here. It's, it's recorded. Uh, there's amounts of historical uh, documents that uh, show who the district chiefs were back then in our territory. That's way before the Indian Act. Mm-hmm. Uh, so th- we, we knew we had to go back uh, to the ways of our ancestors because, uh, you know, it made sense uh, because it included the families. The families were the ones that gave you the authority. So the families were the ones, when we revived, were the ones that appointed their spokesperson. Each clan or uh, the families here would appoint, uh, whether it's the Metallics or the Barnabas, they would say, yes, he's going to be our spokesperson. Mm-hmm. So these spokespersons, in turn, were called uh, sub-chiefs back in the 1700s. And then the sub-chiefs, after they were appointed, would have, they appointed me to be the uh, district chief, the, uh, the, the leader uh, uh, spokesperson. And once, once we, you know, once we had that system in place, then we went on to, uh, in 92, that's when we went on to, uh, uh assert, started asserting our, uh, our jurisdiction within our territories. Mm. You're listening to Mi'kmaq Matters, a podcast about Mi'kmaq people, politics, land, and water. Our guest this week is Gary Metallic Sr. He's a member of the Listagouche Band Council and part of the traditional leadership that negotiated a historic salmon management plan in the 1990s. We told him that's it. You know, we're going to draft our own uh, 
uh, salmon fishery, uh, fishery rod, a listable salmon fishery rod. We're going to, uh, uh, in that rod, it's going to have, uh, you know, the protection of the salmon, conservation. It wasn't going to be a free-for-all because that's what they were saying. Oh, well, there goes the neighborhood, you know, there goes the salmon. Mi'kmaqs, listable Mi'kmaqs are going to fish uh, the, the river uh, dry. That, that's the sport uh, organizations of rivers, that's what they were saying. <clears throat> but it wasn't the case. Uh, our law, uh, even though it wasn't uh, similar to DFO laws or regulations, you know, they got laws stacked up to the ceiling, uh, which, which did make sense. Half the time, they don't make sense. That's what the constitutional lawyers said. Draft up the laws according to the ways of your ancestors. Yes. Are your ancestors protected? Uh, not only the salmon, but any species for their continued survival. And that's what we did. In your, in coming up with your plan, you had the involvement of both the Indian Act, uh, government and, yep. and traditional leadership. And, and this is, uh, I think un, unusual to have yep. that, uh, yep. that mixture. So Very. How, did, how did that work? Because usually the, uh, you know, the Indian Act bands want to have total control over these processes, but you were able to have this, uh, a creative and unusual process. How did you yeah. get that worked out? Well, the reason is uh, we were fortunate because the band council chief and uh, the councils uh, and our tribal council, uh, which is myself, uh, people that ran uh, that year were all of the same mind when it came to uh, our territory, you know, the unceded Mi'kmaq territory. And that's why it worked. The chief uh, didn't have this uh, ego where she said she would say that I'm the chief here, you know, mm. and nobody else. Uh, we don't recognize uh, the traditional district uh, tribal system. That wasn't the case. As a matter of fact, when we drafted up the uh, the salmon uh, salmon law, she understood her role and I said, uh, you know, I'm uh, I'm part of the uh, Indian Act uh, system. And uh, you know, by saying that, she said, I have. I have no uh, jurisdiction outside of the Indian Act uh, uh, defined boundaries. Mm. She said that that belongs to the uh, uh, our ancestral seven district governing system, and then mm -hmm. she was right to say so because even the constitutional lawyers are, are saying that. Mm -hmm. uh, one, when we apply our jurisdiction beyond the Indian Act uh, reserve boundaries, there's not much uh, the province can do because. You know, they don't have any agreements with us. We're not we're not funded by the federal or provincial government. You know, we fund our own government. Mm -hmm. And so that was that was unique. And uh, that was the only time from 1992 to 97. After that, when there was a turnover of uh, the administration to uh, another chief and council, they basically went back to the old agreements, policing agreements, fishing agreements. And uh, but uh, there's one thing they couldn't do. Because the salmon fishery law, the way it was drafted uh, legally, uh, it was it became law because it was adopted not only by uh, the band council, this was band council, but also the Listowitz uh, ancestral seven district tribal mm -hmm. council and the people and the families of Listowitz. Mm -hmm. So this is a law. It's not a policy. It's a law. So they couldn't uh, they couldn't do away with that. It still exists today, uh, 27 years after. Mm -hmm. uh, it still exists. And uh, the, the very people that criticized it back then, the Atlantic Salmon Federation and all the uh, you know, U.S. Uh, fishing magnets that, that own camps up the river, realized that uh, the confrontation, once our, our salmon law went into effect, uh, first of all, they realized that it wasn't going to be a free-for-all, fish-off for our salmon. 
and that we had our own conservation agents uh, patrolling the river, and the people who didn't follow the rules and guidelines, you know, they were uh, they were dealt with. But the rules and guidelines uh, weren't rigid as uh, DFO and provinces. You know, they would have our people in the courts for the next five months. Mm. They were they were basic common sense uh, laws. But uh, I was saying, once they realized that, uh, oh, hey, this is uh, this is something uh, that can work. You know, there's no confrontation. Uh, because we didn't have DFO and the DNR and the Quebec uh, conservation people on the river harassing our, our people. It was our own people, you know, working with the, uh, the fishermen. You have Luscos Rangers who go out and make sure that people are exactly. following the salmon law. Exactly. And not only making sure that people follow the salmon law, making sure that all these other uh, agencies so come in mm. and interfere, interfere in, in their uh, fishing uh, uh, season and their rights. Now, tell us about the process, uh, Gary, that uh, where you came up with the SAM law, because, of course, we have many negotiations going on right now in Mi'kmaq yeah. and in Nova Scotia in particular, where uh, people, not many people know what's going on and only find out on, after yeah. the deal is done. Yeah. So uh, how, how did your process work in that regard? Could people well, well, listen to the discussions, and uh, or was it uh, a group that uh, negotiated the deal? Well, Number one, the most important thing is to involve the people, because as we know, you know, this is a, a collective held right. It's not held by the land council. It's not held by our tribal council. It's held by everybody. So that means it's their right, and it's their right to be at any meeting concerning uh, if their rights are being talked about, whether it's hunting, fishing, uh, or whatever. And uh, once we did that, we opened the doors. Uh, it was an open process. And uh, we went over documents uh, as we negotiated uh, throughout uh, six, seven months back and forth with the uh, provincial or uh, Canada. We presented the documents uh, in special meetings that we had, community meetings that we had uh, in the community, public meetings. We presented the documents. I went over them page by page. We had uh, our constitutional lawyers there to talk about the legal uh, uh, aspects of it. I talked about the historical and cultural aspects of it, of uh, who we are as Mi'kmaq people and what our responsibilities are towards uh, the conservation of uh, salmon, that it mm. can't be a free-for-all. Mm. And that's how we went about it. And people came and, uh, you know, they understood and we read all the regulations and uh, so forth from start to finish. And uh, when we were done, they said, yeah, we like it. Mm. We like it. Let's do it. Mm. So then after that, in 1995, we signed the... Uh, we officially uh, signed as the two governing systems within our uh, district territory. And that's what's going to happen uh, uh, from here to uh, uh, Newfoundland. You know, uh, people, the Mi'kmaq, the Mi'kmaq leadership has to include the people because if you don't do that, well, then there's distrust uh, because of not knowing what, what, yeah. what's being negotiated in these, not only fishing agreements, but land claim, uh, comprehensive land claim agreement. Yes. And Mi'kmaq people have to insist on 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 having information. They have to insist that as as you don't need to be uh, you know uh, a chief or a vice chief or anything. Just by being a, by virtue of being a Mi'kmaq person, you have a right to know, and yeah. you have your rights uh, respected. We're, we're all part of the collective, not a special yeah. few. Yeah, because if they don't know what's in the agreement, you know, they want to say it's like what uh, used to happen here. Like when I was a fisherman, I said. The hell with that! What am I going to respect? I don't even know what was negotiated. You know, they hide they hide these agreements. 
So we, we in turn, uh, the fishermen, uh, we had our own uh, uh, group and said, no, the hell with that. I don't, we don't give a shit what you sign. We're going to follow our ways of, of fishing. And that's where the confrontation came in. But if they would have showed us what, and, and we were in part of that process as anywhere else within the seventh district, uh, as what happened here, you're not going to have that confrontation. People aren't going to be uh, suspicious or uh, or not trust you because you made them uh, a part of that process in all areas. Well, Gary, your your work uh, lives on um, uh, even uh, to this day. So. Uh... Thank you yeah. for uh, thank you for recalling important uh, moments of history that still teach us today what uh, what the challenges are. So uh, I'm glad uh, we had some time on the phone. Yeah, thank you. Well, it, it's uh, you know I don't do it for myself. I do it for the uh, future generations, yes. our children. Yes, and that's the satisfaction that I get, and that I need. that's the only thing that I need. And that was Gary Metallic Senior of the Listigouche Bank Council and part of the community's traditional leadership. We also heard an excerpt from the 1984 movie Incident at Restigouche, directed by Alanis Obamsawan, a national film board production that's available online. Allison Baker is the producer of Mi'kmaq Matters. A special thanks to our supporters who contribute by email transfer or at patreon.com forward slash Mi'kmaq Matters. Like us on Facebook and follow us on Twitter for Mi'kmaq news and views. This is Glenn Wheeler saying, look after yourselves. Namaltas. Namaltas.